We'll talk about feeling Vedana, which is the degree of pleasure or pain, neutrality. So it's just this indication <coughs> comes through a physical base or mental base. So the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, uh, their f- feeling is, is neutral in themselves. <clears throat> but to, because of the way the mind, the way the mind is, the mind interprets sounds and sights, and then that interpretation becomes pleasant or painful. So, you know, roses may look pleasant, so they just look like roses. But the quality of the shape and the colour and whatever other um, cognitive experiences happen, memories, perceptions, sanya occur that we find agreeable or disagreeable. So, it's to recognize that the, the physical quality of feeling really refers just to tactile. Anything else, any other kind of feeling comes through the mind. <coughs> That's really going to make an impression on you. Mm. So, the mind is a much... Um, and of course, the mind can also have perceptions about bodily sensations, you know, so you can recognize with physical discomfort if the mind gets angry and frustrated with it, then that makes it much more unpleasant if the mind is more spacious or allowing or skillful with it. It helps to, you know, the physical disagreeable is there, it becomes less aggravated by the mental disagreeable. So the mental is is the kind of more dominant form of feeling input that we have. And the mental is also have feelings about the mental feeling and the mental perceptions. So we can review the quality of <coughs> the mind or <coughs> so forth and feel displeased by that. So then we get disagreeable. Mm. So you get uh, perceptions and feelings about the mental state that's happening. So you feel really, you know, disagreeable mental feeling over the the lassitude or the unevenness of the mind. So then we more feeling gets added. Notice rather like physical pain that uh, adding more mental feeling to something that already is disagreeable doesn't make it any better. <laughs> mm.
And we can recognize that um, there's both a direct feeling and then this feeling about the feeling and so on and so on and so on. This is the, this medium of perception, cognition, interpretation. The way we find things or take things is really a very potent source of mental feeling. So this is quite um, something to really wake up to because it can go very much for our harm and suffering or it can go for our welfare perception you know, develop. So something that happens if we get the perceptions associated with you know, being mistrusted or being alone or being a failure or not being good enough and then these things can give tremendously powerful inputs of, of oppressive, difficult feeling and then the perception also affects um, our, our, both our energies and also our, our willingness to, to cultivate. And in any in a situation such as this, one can derive feeling from physical thing like cool, cold, warm, or wet. You know, it's cold, a bit cold and damp outside. That's a, maybe that that is experienced as unpleasant. You know, the food, whatever, the um, physical experience of the body can be unpleasant. Um, but even if it's pleasant I wouldn't recommend you really fasten on it because even the, on the sensory level even pleasant feeling is so unreliable and ephemeral you can really have much control over it on the sensory level sensory feeling derived from the external senses that is the least advantageous because it depends on something happening, doesn't it? You know, sunny days or nice things to eat or something like that, or healthy body, pain-free body. Those things are, are really only, you know, strokes of luck, actually, a good fortune. So it's, it's, so of course we can just continually look or try to get situations where we can have the most agreeable kinds of sensory feeling. And certainly not trying to deliberately make it more painful, but at the same time one doesn't want to, you know, keep prioritizing the comfort. As you probably (laughs) recognised I'm not one who prioritizes uh, comfort. But it's okay, you know, it's not deliberately harsh. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's not one has to be tough so much as just to not, not ask for too much. You know, it's training oneself to not ask to too much from the sensory world and also be able to, to, to be expansive and spacious and allowing about the rather disagreeable 
sensory inputs that can occur. This is just good training because it is to get one's attention to affiliate itself to another source of feeling, which is something we do have control over, we do have say over, and which we can train ourselves to to evoke. This is the skillful feeling that comes from um, recollection and mindfulness and concentration. So these are the things that the Buddha said encourage you to develop these pleasant feelings. I encourage you to develop this. So we might look at this in a range of in three different ways. First the recollection is the skill of turning the mind to some theme that causes one to feel inspired, grateful, uh, blessed, um, you know. And the skill of, of mindfulness is to, is to contemplate or to be able to recognize the, the ability to handle feeling, right? to be able to be recognized as changing, um, not to, to be able to let go of the uh, negative reactions to feeling or the greedy reactions to feeling, to be able to handle sensations and feelings. That itself feels good because it's the the feeling that's associated with letting go, <coughs> the feeling that's associated with an agile mind, a particular uh, quality of lightness, and, and that is itself is satisfying, it's uh, relaxed, it's like a beautiful tone to it. And there's the feelings associated with collectedness, which are to do with uplift, rapture, and ease. So these are the ones we have some say over because we can train and cultivate them. <coughs> so it's rather like, you know, you look at feeling as a as a food because it does flood your entire system, quality of feeling it, it just not local, even if it may originate locally, it just floods everything, doesn't it? It becomes so much how I am, and how I am is something that's of, you know, deep concern to the system. It keeps nagging away at how I am. <coughs> and uh, so it's, it's like a, it's like a f- food, one of the four foods is feeling. We just, you know, to to derive feeling only from the external senses is like, uh, you know, you're just grabbing something off the that comes past. It's like grabbing something off the shelf, or just going to a diner and grabbing the first thing that you see, with no selection, just whatever's dished up, you grab it. Well, this way you could get given a plastic egg. <laughs> Or stale food, you just grab it and wolf it down because it looks good. Mm. <clears throat> but the best kind of feelings are things. The best kind of food is that which tastes good and digests well, and also something that doesn't stick in your guts because you recognise if you're constipated, you feel terrible. The best kind of food is the food that passes out in due course of time, doesn't stick around and 
fester. Yeah. And it's a sense of that ability to release and let go is so important for on a, on a physical level, not on a mental level. So, you know, there's a kind of cleanness and freshness that comes from that, cultivating that particular skill alone. Yeah. You know, just every day is just, whoa. And you begin a day with a recollection, as we do here, the puja. And whatever you take is on chanting or ceremonies or so forth, it is trying to, you know, there's a formula to it, but it's also trying to give one the occasion to just bear in mind, you know, today, hallelujah, you know, we've got a, there's a nice place to sit, and, um, you know, we're, we're with the teachings of the Buddha, an enlightened being, you know. Someone who's teachings that lead to liberation, and someone who's done it for themselves and taught many others to do it, who have also realized it. So his Dhamma is that which is effective. It's not just a kind of one off crazy wisdom guru. <laughs> but actually lays down something that you, all kinds of things you could pick up. So he's a very kind of generous teacher, the Buddha, 40, 40 odd years of it, teaching it. So you just kind of be able to bear that in mind. And then a place where one can practice, some go of practice, where you have rules, conventions that keep it um, pure, however kind of inefficient we may be in the monastery, things breaking down, never knowing what, quite what to do. One thing you can never ever accuse us of is being slick. <laughs> so nothing but slick. We're not a slick big money operation. We've managed to remain completely unslick for 25 years, not a drop of slickness coming our way. It doesn't look like it'll ever be that way. There's no no power, no money involved, no kind of scams, no secret deals, no you know nothing under the under the carpet, as it were. No. Hottest form of gossip is what the cat's doing. <laughs> so you got something that's is kind of open-handed. And you can you can come and join and take part in it, and then if, you know can leave. So it's kind of like some moony cult where you can get or to take cyanide tablets, or you know people who come around and lean on you to make you sign up, come in of one's free will and make commitments and try to honour those. So it's you know just to kind of recollect in very pragmatic terms the occasion that we have. Recollect also your own good deeds, your own goodness. This is something we have some control over because you do, here you do do good. You know, keep, just keeping the precepts and making the effort to turn up and helping out. These are all good things. You know, but the skill of, of recollection is to point 
think, question, investigate, till you, and then until you get the mood, evaluate it, so you get the mood of it, the sense of you know, the voluntary, the willing, the um, offered, the given, um, the virtuous, the concerned, the conscientious, and you really get the resonances of those things, you get a nice buoyant feeling. And conventionally speaking, it's one of the standard um, preliminaries of practice is to just keep mulling it over till you get you get the tune, you get the sense of that. It's not just the idea, but the kind of quality of uplift in it, pomoja, gladness. And minds, because this is something we don't necessarily do very much, because our thinking mind often doesn't evaluate and deliberate and, and get the mood coming out of it, it just rattles out thoughts. And uh, minds are probably more trained at analysis and rationation than appreciation and, uh, and um, evaluation. So when you look at it rationally, or if you've got a mind that rationalizes or go that way, then one can always kind of add and subtract and multiply and divide and figure out ways it could be like this or that or the other. And mind will, that, that kind of mind will always be able to think of ways it could be better. And um, there are, in the virtual world of possibilities, there are many ways it right now could be better, you know. But also, if your mind works like just think of how many ways it could be worse. It helps to check the habits. How many ways could it be worse? And then, well, thank goodness that's not happening, you know. Rain's not coming in on me. Nobody's beating me up. Food, no, no, I'm starving. And um, so it just, you know, it's obviously that, just to kind of introduce that, don't concern oneself about the mood of the mind, that it feels anxious or sullen or disappointed. That's just, we might say, that's just the, we parka, the results, but just to keep introducing the good karma, the good conditions and causes to to flush out the stale stuff. This is called Anusati. So it is Sati bringing to mind mindfulness, which <coughs> causes one, helps one to remember. It's a, something that picks up. So it's a subtle form of activity, of action, mindfulness. And um, you can see it's actually something that's quite broad. It sweeps, it looks around, it, it picks up. You know. And um, so it requires a kind of effort, but when we consider effort, 
even the very word itself sounds so heavy and, and uh, physical, almost, a certain pushing or straining to um, get somewhere or make something stop or make something happen. When really with, with meditation, most of the effort, if not all of it, is just towards recollecting and tuning in and keep doing it. You know, it's not a huge push as much as a continual touching, 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 picking it up until, you know, the mind gets the theme. You know, it's like learning how to to sing or dance or you know, play the piano. You just keep plunking away until you get the right step and it starts to flow. Mm. So it's that kind of effort. And mindfulness is quite a... Uh, a broad thing. So first of all, wants to establish that uh, on a mind that's uh, free from dejection, dejection and hankering, Satipatthana Sutta. So, you know, that's the base for the act, the, so one recollects in order to clear the mind from dejection, dejection and hankering. Mm. We, feel, we feel settled, comfortable in the moment. So I don't think, when one looks at it, that there's not a lot of point, you know, getting into meditation techniques until we've established that kind of basis. Because what almost certainly happens when we move in, in order to, you know, to concentrate, but actually, the problem is that there isn't the basis to support it. There's not the sense of enough, you know, completion, enough relaxation, enough ease, enough collectedness to to develop the concentration. And concentration, remember, is not. Samadhi is not an action, it's, it's a result. The action is, is through vitaka vichara, which is directing attention or directing thought, and evaluating, that's the active bit of it. And then as that subsides, then the action is mindfulness and full awareness, and bringing something into mind and feeling it out, noticing it. So it, it's... it's yeah, so those things have got to work, get flexible and energised before you really concern yourself too much with, you know, one-pointedness. Mm. So mindfulness then comes from that basis. You feel a little bit inspired. And then you just bringing the body into mind. What it is to have a body, embodiment. 
entire sensate corporal experience. Sensations and feelings, physical feelings, tingle the pulse of them, the stabbing of them, the prickling, pleasure, displeasure. And again, you know, how do we, how do we find a way with that? Many people have experiences of quite some discomfort, either physical, you know, direct impingement, pressure of on the f- knees on the floor, legs on the floor, or more internal, either ill health or particular constrictions in the body, tensions and tightnesses in the body. So, you know, before, again, before one thinks about concentration, it's just like investigating those. Can we handle those? Which is the other source, next source of feeling. The ability just to, to um, not be pushing or punching or withdrawing or retracting from these physical discomforts and being open so that mind becomes has the sense of detachment which is the unhooking of uh, mental states and then dispassion which is more like a, a spaciousness around the quality of feeling that occurs and to meet feeling mm-hmm. And the method of mindfulness makes that quite clear. You feel the feeling just as a feeling, just as if it has every right to be there. It's you know, part, almost like just welcoming it, is a phrase. Sometimes Ajahn Sumedho talks of welcoming discomfort, disagreeable, because there's so much habit to be perplexed by it, to be frustrated by it, to you know, feel put down and by it and this thing's getting in my way. So that, that hindrance of ill will and restlessness comes up. These are the things that get in the way, the hindrances. They hinder, not the feeling. It's those particular... And actually, this is sort of like our first major test is uh, to is about uh, freeing up freeing oneself from the hindrances which often means coming to those experiences where they arise where the ill will arises and ill will can be something like actual you know intense dislike or just the a sense of um, unwillingness. There's no real goodwill, absence of goodwill. So we can get into a kind of sullen state or even a resigned, fed up state. Ill will towards oneself, towards the body, feeling there's no, no benevolence, no you know, opening to receive it is something that just 
puts up with it or defends against it or closes against it. And though this hindrance, you know, is, is not, so it's not behavioral, whereby one's getting angry and chucking spittoons at people, but it's more like, it's just, it's kind of like a locked state of antipathy. And that definitely, you know, hinders hinders the fluidity and agility of the mind, doesn't it? So we try to feel some sense of ill will when that actually isn't trying to try to go to the feeling that causes it. And it may be something to do with the physical experience, either overall physical experience, like feeling tired or generally run down, or local pain in my shoulder that's been going on for months on end, or perceptual, you know, that is, why do we have to get up so early? You know, I don't like being with people. Um, you know, whatever. You don't feel my practice is getting anywhere. So, you know, one looks at it, just kind of contemplate within the hindrance, the, the feeling, you know, where the feel, what perception gives rise to that, the feeling. So the hindrance is often the, the um, production, and the perception is the trigger, and the feeling is the base of that particular trigger, anything that the trigger is created by. Then actually to do it to kind of have to make so it's to make it quite clear to yourself so it's so it's all right to hate people or to hate monasteries or whatever so things actually then you don't have to resist that just look into that what is the particular specific point the particular feeling where does it come from. And sometimes I've, you know, looking to that and feeling fed up today. Da, 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 da. I mean, what was it? You know, because in the fed upness, it just seems to blanket everything. And you know, what actually was the specific point? Well, is she okay? Is he okay? Yeah. Is the bed okay? Yeah, yeah. The weather? That's all right. Temperature in the room? Yeah. What actually was it? I actually found out. Tea was awful. <laughs> so, you know, it comes down to that, you little point, and that gave it, set up this bad mood that the whole, whole situation and day gets generated around that. Or, you know, someone you don't like. You think, what was it? You didn't even like their ears? No, their ears are fine. Hair, hair, well, it doesn't really have a problem here. The way they walk, no, no. What is it then? Well, he never passes the sugar. <laughs> you know, a little kind of behavioural thing. So often the, the ill will just cut, throws a blanket over, every, over the whole thing. When you come down to just the the original, the perception, and then the the very feeling of what I, I you know, what gives rise to that. 
And same with craving and desire. Mm. What actually is the bit, the real hit? Where would the pleasant feeling be? Sometimes it's just that sense of, you know, I want this or that. No, actually, no, I don't. It's not that I want this or that, I just want to do what I want. A sense of free will. And then actually, well, what do you want to do? Well, I, oh, um, actually, I want to meditate. <laughs> I want to watch that, want to liberate myself. So when we kind of review some of these, the way the hindrances work, they often set up a maze that dazes one's attention. You don't really, you know, get to the specific point of where the perception and the feeling occur. So there's quite a lot of learning one can accomplish through the hindrances, learning to not be um, phased by them, alarmed by them or spun out by them, close up, investigate, and then you come to the specific point and you, one also begins to see just how immensely effective our systems are. You know, a few days ago, I remember I was kind of coming through the day and I realised this irritation. What is this? I didn't really recognise it. There was a certain sort of edginess and sharpness about where my mind was operating. What is all this? And, you know, I got reviewed it. Oh, that's because I couldn't figure out the telephone connection. You know, tiny little thing that set up a moment of frustration, and then that effect wasn't really discharged. It was locked there. I went on the rest of the day. Just a little thing like that can make the whole day seem one feels edgy. You know, so you see how effective it is, and then, well, if it's effective in that sense, couldn't it be effective by another way? Like, put, uh, you know the Buddha, the Blessed One, the liberation, you know, seed that particular thing rather than the telephone wouldn't work or, you know, cat peed on my blanket as a, as a key- keynote for the day. <laughs> Because actually, I would say that when you cultivate, you know, mindfulness of, of breathing, for example, it is a, a practice is about pajanati, which is to do with full awareness. It's a very full awareness and thoroughly sensitive. So, you know, it requires the mind to be based upon being able to be fully aware, and not edgy or cramped or trying to shut something out or trying to get somewhere sort of like expansive sense fully, fully aware thoroughly sensitive to um, 
just breathing in and out and then being able to soothe and calm the rhythms of the body well one can't do that unless one is already you know attuned to a, a kind of quality of of mood that is open, rich, uh, able to calm. You know, I can't go without a pain. If I'm fed up and edgy and and uh, uptight, I'm going to try to focus on my breathing through that channel. Where's what's going to result? It's going to be edgy, uptight breathing, basically. You know, frustrated. It's going to go right in there because. You know, the, the very effective mind is also the mind that we're using to to focus with. That's why, you know, for many people, mindfulness of breathing is not really a, a practice they can, uh, you know, pick up immediately. Because there's so much uh, um, massaging of attention that's required to make it open and supple and... and, and uh, Benevolent, you know. we get so tight and cramped and and anxious, and you know, to get somewhere and make it work. That very attitude, you know, tends to impose a certain grip and uh, um, short attention span. Right? The attention span is wide receptive to an entire phase of breathing in all the way in and breathing out all the way out. So then, you know, just to spend time developing or attuning to how to feel, how to be, be sensitive acknowledge sensitivity and how to feel you know one is welcome and welcomed part of this mm. yeah. so the movement into the meditation theme comes from a, a sense of chanda or willingness desire interest As you know, you know, certainly now Sangha not if you really teach mindfulness of breathing this um in in Britain anyway. Mostly you think just do things like openness, space, silence, you know, these more immaterial objects to conduce to a particular resonance that feels comfortable and uh free from tension and free from criticisms and nervousness mm. and I think there's quite a lot of pra- pragmatic wisdom in that it comes from not from some ideological position but just in the pragmatism of recognising you know what people seem to need mm. But um, my characteristic stubbornness, I'm still waving the banner of mindfulness of breathing. Because <laughs> I, I haven't given up on it. 
it's a it's a matter of of bringing that that welcome that openness that uh, generosity that of heart that heartfulness into something that's embodied <coughs> and find the two then it's exceptionally beneficial because you've got something that really gets right into your nerve endings and uh, grounds and earths and gives you a very almost a physical resonance to these more immaterial um, resonances but whatever works really as long as you get the resonance you know in whatever but if you do get that or you find that then really try to like breathe through that don't focus on a particular physical point just get the the mood and the sense of the flush and the flow of energies um, so that that sense of of uplift that's associated with doing something skillful handling things skillfully being given a, um, a beautiful opportunity crystallizes into the quality of piti which is a which is a, has a physical or a neurological it's not purely an idea but it has a definite neurological effect the system actually starts to feel uh, the physical system on a subtle level somatically so starts to be more alive and energized this uplifted buoyant quality and um, what it feels like to feel feel good feel toned up it's like a bodily toning up. You feel bright. And because it's coming from the, the body, the beauty of this is it, it's, it's not so much dependent upon, um, you know, mental effort or a mental turning. You can almost start to sit back in that on what your body is, is doing. It's not purely bodily, I mean, because the mind has to be there picking up and tuning into it. But there is almost like a bodily, part of that is is bodily. And then the uh, quality of ease can come up when one contemplates the sense of rapture, uplift, and gets more spacious about it. It's like a sense of dispassion, spaciousness around it, and letting it flow through the system. And you get a skillful quality of ease. You can breathe it down through your fingers and your feet and your legs. And the resonance that comes from the body, it really appreciates that. And so this is something that because if the body picks it up like that, that, this is where this sense of ekagata comes from. It's almost like, it's not that you force your mind into it, but that something grabs your mind. You know, it's like some quality of, of gravity almost pulls and holds till it becomes difficult to think. You know, you can't, you're so held, it's like, I suppose it would be something like when you're really held by um, um, a cinema, so 
film or a piece of music, you know, you can't, you're so gripped by it, you can't go into a lot of thinking. I mean, you could break out. So Ekaka does something like that, but this is coming from this um, whole, you know, embodied feeling tone. But I would recognize, you know, that, that, that these are, again, things that aren't necessarily advocated that strongly because of the, the attitudes we can have about them. Um, you're trying to make it work, feeling negative because one hasn't got it. And then all that, this, the amount of distress that can get caused through that is, is you know, it's not worth going into really, just to cause yourself distress and um, irritation. <laughs> you know, because that cuts away the very base of meditation. Many things to, you know, to pick away a in a theme where one one can put aside the dejection and the craving, get the feeling, and then you know, sit in it, soak it up. You know, let you let let the voice of your mind speak from that feeling. Let the voice of your mind speak from the place of abundance and generosity. Let it talk to you. Mm. Let it hold you and and reassure you and help you with the difficulties. You know, it's all right. You're all right. This will pass. You're doing well. So that these kind of tyrannical, critical mental restrictions can be blown out. And then it becomes something whereby you know, one tends to find myself more, almost feeling the body because this other stuff isn't in the way and, you, and your body is your, your home base. So often we seem to find ourselves, because of that powerful, most um, involuntary inclination to to find a pattern to stabilize it. If you can't find your body, you can't be with that, then you tend to stabilize in a mood, you know, make that solid. If you can't do that, you stabilize in a thought. Can't find a positive thought, you stabilize in a negative thought. You know, so in a way, what can happen is that we gradually constellate a sitting place based on our, you know, negative thoughts or afflicted thoughts or sad thoughts or despairing thoughts, and you, that becomes almost like your sitting platform. Uh, so, you know, before doing anything else, one one must find the place to sit. Otherwise, there isn't any. Meditation is just obsession, and uh, um, you know, carving out a place of woe. <laughs> 